Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I'm joined by Captain of the Paragold Police Department, Brad Snyder. Brad, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, I know of you. We have some mutual friends, but I've never had a chance that I know of to just sit down with you like this and have a conversation. And so, I'm interested um, in knowing a little bit about your background and, and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, originally, I'm from Lake City. Uh, I was born and raised down there until I was about 12 years old. Uh, my dad worked here in Paragold at Monroe with your dad. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, a little tidbit for you today. Yeah, man. What part of Monroe was he working at? you remember? He worked in Department 13. He was in the gas charger area there okay. uh, for, the, for the majority of his uh, career there. Did he retire from Monroe? He did after 43 years. Wow. See, my dad started working there whenever he was 18 and just retired a couple years ago when he was 65. Mm-hmm. It's like unheard of now. Yes, absolutely. But like that was like a real thing, like where men would go and just work their tails off in the same place for their whole career. That's right. It's really awesome. But okay, Monroe. So we, uh, I went to school at Riverside West Elementary in Lake City. Um, fun fact, the uh, Lake City School District, before it consolidated with Caraway, was the Lake City Catfish. Wow. And what I was a great mascot. I was a catfish for one year. Okay. My kindergarten year. So, Do you remember what the mascot looked like? It was just a red just catfish. A <laughs> it was the colors were red and white, and uh, just a, a catfish. Right. Yeah. So there's, so uh, many, there's only so many ways you can draw a catfish. Yes. Yes. Trying to make it fancy. When I tell people that, they're like, "What?" <laughs> so, uh, very interesting. But uh, my my parents went to school there. That's just where where we had roots, and so. Uh, Fast forward to junior high, I was in, or about to start junior high, I was in the sixth grade, and the junior high was in Caraway. And so I was going to have to ride the school bus every morning all the way to Caraway from Lake City. Hmm. And if, uh, if you're familiar with Lake City any at all, there was a really long bridge over the San Francis River that was two-lane, that was built probably in the 30s, and we were going to have to cross that twice a day, every day. And my dad was like, you know, I've worked in Paragold for 17 years. I'm tired of driving back and forth. I don't want you guys on that bus, hmm. talking about my brother and I. And so he said, I think we'll just move to Paragold. And so my sixth grade year, the last nine weeks, we moved to Paragold in uh, February of 1990. And I've been here ever since. 1990. Yeah. Did you go to GCT? Went to Green County Tech. Graduated from there in 1996. 1996. What were you into in uh High school. You know, I, I played a little bit of baseball. I played uh, uh, Junior Babe Ruth at Bland Park. Uh, Rotary on and the National League, we played uh, when we first moved here. I was 12, and uh, we played in the National League on, on the Rotary team. Had yeah. a good team. Man, don't you miss those days like, and I'm not against travel ball, but like the days where everybody that you knew that played sports. Yes. Like everyone that was playing baseball, like they weren't all over the place. They were all right there. Yes. Concession stands. Man, did you did you get the tickets back in the day? Yes. After that, you go after your, the game. Yeah, man. The good old days. Those really were the good old the days. Good old days. I'm at that age now, where that's the way I'm referring to most of my Absolutely. life. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, I wasn't really into a whole lot in, in, in high school. Uh, I was a I was a, a studious uh, kid. Uh, a lot of it came. Luckily, I didn't have to study a whole lot. Hmm. But uh, but I did uh, I just did schoolwork all the time and. Uh, and I got a job, uh, my very first job. I was 16. I worked for Steve Smoker at Hyde Pharmacy. Worked okay. there Worked there for a little while and uh, was delivering medicine. And, you know, I was a 16-year-old kid uh, driving a stick shift pickup truck 
which is rare these days as well. And uh, just wasn't getting enough hours there. I was working on Saturdays. And uh, I had the opportunity to go work at Plaza Big Star for former, before he was mayor, former mayor Mike Gaskell. Man, that was like a farm system for people in leadership in our, our city. I was telling Josh Ag actually this morning, um, he was talking about people that all had worked at what is now Hayes, but was Big Star. And I was like, hey, how about instead of leadership paragold, send people through the program, that whatever it is y'all give them, like, just have them go work at Hayes for three months. I tell you, it, and I tell my son, my son is a, a senior this year at Tech, and uh, when we were talking about jobs, and I was telling him about my job at the grocery store, I said, you would be amazed at the amount of friends and connections, professional connections that I made at the grocery store that I still have today. Really? At 43 years old. What do you think made that place so special? It's not just a grocery store, right? It's not just like any, or you think it is just like any grocery store, I think you're going to have the same experience. Or do you think there was just something special about Big Star? Well, I think that we were held to a pretty high standard. You know, we wore ties every day, Mm -hmm. button up shirts with ties. And you know, we carried groceries out. It was it was a cardinal sin to let somebody carry their groceries out mm-hmm. by themselves. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen. Unless they just absolutely insisted they were carrying their own, you carried them. And so that, that I won't say forced, but it, it encouraged that relationship and that, that, that conversation with the customer and, and mm-hmm. you as, as, the, as a grocery sacker or the cashier. And, 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 and Mike held us to a very high standard. I mean, we were to greet the customer. We were to, you know, it was all about them. Hmm. And so, you know, again, I, I established a lot of outstanding relationships hmm. uh, that, that, still, that still go on today because of that grocery store and yeah. a lot of good times there. Yeah, it seems like it. Every time I hear someone talk about it, I'm like, man, I wish I would have worked at Big Star. Oh, it was great. The days. It was great. So you're there. You started working there. You said you're how old? 16. I was 16. Okay. And so you worked there through your high school days? Through my high school days uh, and my first semester of college. Okay. Um, I started ASU at 18. Uh, in, uh, what did you want to major in when you went into ASU? Criminology. Okay. So you knew I, right out of high school. like I, I knew at the age of five I was going to be a policeman. No. Yes. Really? And that never really wavered? That never wavered. I had a backup plan. Uh, I wanted to be a teacher. If I, if I didn't become a police officer. So something like a helping profession in some ways. Yes. Yeah. What do you think made you want to be a police officer? Was someone in the family an officer? And I do have relatives. Uh, okay. A cousin of mine, a third cousin, uh, was a state trooper. And um, I, can, I can remember the event vividly. Uh, I was five years old. We had come back from Jonesboro. If you, if you went, did any grocery shopping, big grocery shopping or Walmart-type shopping, you went to Jonesboro. Lake City just didn't, mm-hmm. didn't have a whole lot. And so I remember um, this evening, it was, it was a weekend, and there had been a couple of escapees from the Craighead County Jail. And they had been tracking them toward Lake City. They were on foot, and they were navigating farm fields and, and things of that nature. And so the last place they had sighted them, for sure, was the old Dixie School on 135 between Paragold and Lake City. Oh, Dixie Sky, yeah, yeah. All right. So they were the Dixie Dragons back when that school was functional. So so many good mascots. Yes. The Dragons versus the Catfish. Who's yes. going to win? <laughs> Sounds like an episode out of uh, Harry Potter or something. <laughs> um, so 
in response to that, they, they, I think they had word from what I gathered later on in my, my life. They had gathered they were making their way toward Lake City. So at the very base of that bridge I spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. they had had a roadblock set up. And it was, there was a state trooper or two there, and there were county deputies there, and Lake City Police was there, and they were checking cars to make sure oh, that wow. somebody hadn't. It's a big deal. It was a big deal. And so, you know, seeing those officers there, the blue lights flashing, you know, the troopers, their big campaign hats standing out there, and it was just, I, it was right then that I said, that's what I want to do when I get to be old enough to, to do that. Wow. And I never did waver from that. Like I said, going through my high school years, I did have a, a backup that I wanted to, I'd like to teach uh, because, you know, there were things in school that I was stronger at than, you know, I wasn't a math science guy. I was a, a history English guy. You still be in the history? I enjoy it. I don't uh, study it like I, mm-hmm. like I once did, but, uh, uh, but I do enjoy history. So tell me this, how much of um, your police work has looked anything like what you saw when you were a boy? Because there is an element to where about there's a romance, like kind of this romantic view of being a police officer where it seems like that's a lot of the work. I mean, we're going to catch the bad guys. But I wonder, like, is it like that behind the scenes or is it a lot of paperwork? And there, The vast majority of our job is not what you see on television. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I, to- I told this story last week, actually. You have those moments that you see on Cops. Or they're they're running after people. Have you had those moments? Sure, really. Sure. When was the first time? Oh, uh, I remember. I remember pursuits when I was a twenty-one-year-old deputy at the sheriff's office. You remember your first one? Oh yeah, and I remember. Did you I think remember, you were going to die? Or you're like, what? I you can't know, this is happening. Your adrenaline is so. You know, I tell people in tongue in cheek, but kind of serious at the same time. The funnest part of this job is running the lights and siren. <laughs> you know, uh, there's something to be said yeah. about that. Get your your adrenaline goes up. You know. And then uh, you get to where you're going, you're like, oh, now the paperwork starts after, after everything's uh, settled. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it is the, the cop stuff, the, the story I was telling, was they may have a crew riding with those officers for a month to get what little footage you see on television. Hmm. You know, it's not, it's not just pursuits all the time. It's not always running and jumping fences, uh, which I can't do anymore. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's just... Uh, uh, it's kind of you're like you said. It's romanticized. It's 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 exaggerated some, uh, but at the end of the day, you do have those moments where yeah. where you're tooling along, uh, listening to your your radio, and then next thing you know, you're driving 90 miles an hour, your hair on fire. Have you uh, ever had a time where you felt like in danger? Where you're like, this is not a good situation. Absolutely, um, I've. Uh, I've gotten, uh, I've been in situations where I, I really thought I was going to have to use my firearm. Hmm. Uh, I've had a gun pulled on me. Wow. Uh, that was, uh, that was pretty stressful. Wow. Was that on like a, like pulling somebody over from someone's house? That was actually a, uh, what was called in as a domestic disturbance. Okay. And uh, it was a false call. It was a, it was a, it was a prank call. And uh, when we rolled up, uh, in fact, Captain, uh, another captain that I work with, Brent McCain, he was uh, with me. We responded to this together. And uh, when we arrived, it just uh, didn't feel right. The hair on the back of your neck stands up. Huh. And uh, when the door opened, I saw a face and a chrome revolver. Wow. And so... It what was, did you say? Well, there was a whole lot of yelling <laughs> and uh, probably some things that I... That, 
that uh, I probably shouldn't have said, maybe, uh, but in the heat of the moment, uh, it was uh, it was pretty intense. I mean, I got really close. Bill, what are you going to do if someone pulls a gun on you? Same thing. I'm not yelling. I'm I'm begging. I'm I'm probably like, what do you what do you want me to do? Well, the, the advantage I had is I had one too. So oh, okay. so uh, you <laughs> so know yeah. you uh, you very quickly realize, and I will. That's this is what some something that really amazed me at how fast your brain operates. And I never that realized fires a lot. Well, just how fast it processes. So I'll give you I'll give you the 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 rundown. So when that door opened, mm-hmm. because those red flags were happening and that my hair on the back of my neck was standing up, I'd already unsnapped my firearm, my handgun, and I already had my hand on it, and I already had it halfway out of the holster because huh. I just knew that something was not right. So when the door opens and I see the face and I see that revolver come around, I had mine out and pointed. But in that time, wow. but in that time all that was going on, you can read this guy's face because I'd already identified that I was the Paragol police. And he, when he saw me, when our eyes met, he realized I really was the police. And you could read that facial expression and knew he was saying, uh-oh, this, mm-hmm. this is not good. Um, but I processed that all at the same time as yelling and screaming and pointing my firearm at him. Mm-hmm. Of course, he drops it, and then we yes. we uh, latch on to him pretty quickly and, and get him secured. But it was just amazing. You know, they say that you're tra- you'll go back to your training, you go back to your training, which is true. But it's, it, it is surreal to, to experience that and, and realize how fast your brain really does process things. Mm-hmm. It was wild. I've heard Stovall, we had him on here. Yes. And he talks about this gut instinct. Absolutely. That every good police officer has. Uh, is that something you're born with? Because you kind of alluded to it there. You didn't use the word gut instinct. You're the Harrison up on the, like, you're like, ah, something's wrong. Something's off. What is that? Call it, call it intuition. Call it just, you know, we use the term head on a swivel a lot. You know, you're, you're constantly watching your you know, we look for red flags. We look for things that look out of the ordinary. And so uh, we're always doing that just by design and by habit. And so, uh, I don't know, sometimes some people have it, some people don't. Um, you know, I always say that, that police work's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, if you tried to stick me in uh, an auto mechanic place, uh, I would, I'd be fired after the first day. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's just not the way I'm wired. Sure. Uh, yep. and, and thank goodness for people that have those capabilities Absolutely. to do those other jobs. But, uh, you know, some people, some people just have that natural knack of being able to say, mm, something's wrong here, and it's, uh, I need to prepare for it to go bad. Yes. Well, I'm very glad that we have people like you all that are good at your jobs. Um, I want to go back to your um, going to college, and you're at, hey, you're at Big Star. Yes. When did you actually get into the line of work that you're in now? So, uh, Dan Langston. Mm-hmm. was running for sheriff at the time. Uh, this is uh, 96, and uh, I'm in my first semester of college, and he was a customer at the store. And I remember having a conversation with him uh, after he had gotten, it was known that he was going to be the next sheriff. And I said, listen, I've always wanted to be in law enforcement. We had had that talk because he had worked at the Paragol Police, hmm. you know, years prior. And I, I said, you know, listen, if you have an opening, you know, for a dispatch or something like that. Because at the time, scanner, police scanners were really big. 
and I had one, and I could tell you what every 10 code was. I could tell you what they were saying on the radio. I already kind of had that down. Uh, and so I just told him, I said, I would be interested in, in uh, a job if you have one available at some point. And, uh, okay, bub, I'll, I'll keep you in mind and things like that. So we'll rock along to January of 97, he takes office. I'll, I'll bet he wasn't in office 15 days. And he came in the grocery store. He said, hey, do you still want a job? Hmm. And I said, absolutely. He said, well, come to my office uh, like on Monday or whatever. I wanna, I'll interview you and whatnot. And so I went in, and he went through some of the 10 codes. What does this mean? What is it? And I just rattled it off like it was hmm. second nature. Again, I'd been listening enough and, and knew what they were saying. And so he offered the job to me. And so I started dispatching. Uh, at that time, we were working eight-hour shifts, so 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., as a dispatcher. And what does that look like? Like you, like just take me through like a typical day of a dispatcher. Cause I have no idea. So at that time, now it's totally different than, okay. than it is now than it was then. Yeah. So at that time you had a, a handwritten kind of like the notepad that you've got in front of you, but it had, mm-hmm. it was set up, printed out uh, for a radio log for, for law enforcement. So you hand wrote everything that the officer said, if they were in the, you know, if they checked in service, it was that at that time we used ten codes. It was ten eight, so you would you would write that down what the what the unit number was and what time it was, and so so you had that you had the administrative line the the line that people call in for non emergency things. You had a computer for uh, what's called ACIC Arkansas Crime Information Center. So that's where we run drivers licenses and tags, hmm. things of that nature, uh, and then you had like an in house computer for like warrants and things like that. And, and you had a 911 phone. That's all you had. Hmm. And so so people would call and say, hey, uh, there's, some, uh, there's some horses out on County Road 125. Can you, you, know, can you send a deputy? So you, you take that information, callback number and all that. You dispatch, dispatch that out on the radio to the officers, and they go deal with whatever the, the incident is. And so that's just, you know, wash, rinse, dry, repeat. Sure. Yep. It's just... Yeah, all 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 night, and so some days would be really really slow. Some days there wasn't there wasn't enough of you there hmm. to do it. Uh, I'll give you a good example. So I went to work at the end of January of '97 for Dan Langston. March the first of 1997 was when the tornado hit Marmaduke. So it happened on my shift. I was by myself. And so I have very little experience, and a tornado hits Marmaduke. Mm. Uh, we knew that that was coming. I was watching the weather. You know, we knew that bad weather was imminent. We didn't know how bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll never forget our current sheriff, Steve Franks, lives uh, just west of Marmaduke. And I remember him stepping outside. The tornado was going over his house, and he was, he was telling us on the radio, uh, that it was going over his house, and then it proceeded right into Marmaduke and, and caused uh, a whole lot of damage. Yeah. And so uh, so I remember that vividly. Here I was a month into the job by myself, and that's one of those cases where there's not enough of you sure. to, to get the job done. So you just, you just did what you could, and uh, it was fast and furious. How long did you do that for? Until you were- so I dispatched until my 21st birthday. Okay, and then where'd you go? I got promoted to a deputy on, on my 21st birthday. My, I always like to joke, my present was a badge and a gun. And so I started working patrol for the sheriff's office. So that was in 98. Uh, 
November of 98. And so I uh, went through the police academy. Uh, another, another fun fact in that regard, I was uh, in the very first academy class ever held at Black River Technical College mm-hmm. in the Law Enforcement Training Academy over there. And that was what year did you say? 1999. 1999. And so we were the inaugural class for that police academy, and it's still going today. Hmm. And so myself, again, and uh, Captain Brent McCain that I work with, we were in the same class together. He was working for the PD, as he is now, and I was working for the sheriff's office. Okay. When did you move over to police? Uh, October of 2000. I, tr- okay. I, I went over to the PD. And patrol? I actually started out dispatching for just a little while. They had a dispatch uh, position that needed to be filled and uh, they were actually waiting for a what's called a COPS grant. It was a grant, a matching grant that the, the federal government would pay 90% or whatever of that officer's salary uh, for three years. And so we were waiting on that uh, to open up a patrol slot. So they just said, hey, slide into this mm-hmm. and uh, hang tight. Because I was certified to dispatch. I was fully, uh, fully certified what I needed to do there in addition to be a certified police officer. So I had dual certifications there. And so I did that until uh, till there was a slot that came open on patrol, and I transferred to patrol from, from dispatch. All right. So I have a question I've always wanted to ask. Okay. When I'm driving, and this has only happened a couple of times, Bill, maybe, I don't know, four or five times in my life, and I'm going a little fast, and all of a sudden I see these lights behind me. I, there, that's one of the worst feelings in the world. You're like, dang. Mm-hmm. Shoot. Mm-hmm. What is going through your mind? So you know nobody's happy to see you when that happens, right? Absolutely. Immediately you're like, you you know they're also like, please, for the love of God, don't give me a ticket. Yes. <laughs> Walk me through that. Because I'm like, man, I don't... If I was having a bad day, I'm probably going to write a lot of tickets. If I'm having a good... That's the way it seems to me. If I'm having a good day, it's like, you know what? You were nice to me. See you later. Brad, What's here's, going through your mind, man? Like, Here's your chance to shine, Brad. <laughs> yeah. what, tell me what, yeah, what is it like, man, to be in your shoes when you pull someone over and you know, like, they're like, and maybe they're having a bad day. They're, in a, they're, they're on their way somewhere for whatever reason. They're in a hurry because they're behind for a job. Like, how do you do it? So I can speak for me. Yes. Because there, there is officer discretion that comes into play when it comes to traffic stops and citations or warnings and things of that nature. So, Unless it's a really flagrant issue where we've almost caused an accident or we're driving, you know, 100 miles an hour on 55 or something like that, um, those cases you kind of know when you get out of the car what you're going to do. Hmm. You're going to write a citation or, or, you know, whatever. And But my big, my big thing is I always want to treat people the way I would want to be treated Mm-hmm. If the role was reversed, so That's if I'm good. the person in that car, yes, how would I want that officer to deal with me? And so I've always, I've always done my very best. I, I won't say that I haven't failed a time or three, but I've always done my best to to do that. And and so, you know, a lot of it is driven by the person that we contact. Uh, for me, you know, I, I'll go up there and I'll identify myself and I'll explain why I'm stopping, uh, stopping them, and you know. I, I take a lot of things into consideration. I look at driver history. You know, I look at circumstance. Why, you know, if they were speeding to get to the hospital for whatever sure. reason. You know, we take all that stuff into consideration. And um, and so it's 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 really, in my for me, it's driven by them. Um, you know, I'm 
I've never been a huge ticket writer. Uh, I'll be the first to tell anybody that. And uh, I, I gain, I feel like you gain just as much by educating people as you do citing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, there's a time and a place mm-hmm. for those citations, and I've issued my share. Sure. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, a trooper from years ago, uh, one of his catchphrases was, this one's on me, next one's on you. Hmm. And so I've used that a whole lot. Hmm. It, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Hey, slow down for me. Mm-hmm. This one's on me today, next one's mm-hmm. on you. Now, believe it or not, I've cashed in on that too. Sure. You know, I've stopped folks and then two weeks later stop them again. Yes. And I have that. Do you remember what I said? Yes. Yes, sir. You said next one's on me and, and I'll be getting a ticket this time and I understand. And and yep. and that's just how that goes. Um, but, you know, we we oftentimes, most times, see people at their worst. Mm-hmm. And and when I'm, I don't mean anything just dramatic, but, you know, they're, they've had a bad day at work yes. and they're, they're, they're engrossed in their music or whatever and they're yes. speeding or whatever. Yep. Uh, you know, grace and mercy go a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like um, we all have those days mm-hmm. and we all have those experiences where, you know, we're doing something maybe we wouldn't ordinarily have done mm-hmm. and, and we get caught. And so... Uh, that's just one of those situations where you just kind of take that by, take those things into account and try to make a, a decision based off of that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's that's it, a good answer. I never, I, I, I'd always wondered what it was like to be on the other side. So well, it sounds like you approach it very thoughtfully. So I feel like you need to. Um, and, and like I said, there's there's there are things that are cut and dried that you know you're getting out of the car riding a ticket. Yeah. Or 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 if it's an impaired driver or things like that, you obviously know that those are going to change the dynamics of how you handle things. Yes. But but by and large, uh, you know, you just get out and you treat people the way that you'd want to be treated and then just see where that goes. And, you know, if it ends in a citation, it ends in a citation. If it ends in a, in a, a warning or yeah something like that, that, that's fine too. I know you're not in patrol anymore, but let's just say you saw a guy riding his bike on the highway. Would you give him a ticket? If it was Bill, yes. Okay, good. I'm just making sure. You didn't get a ticket, right? No. You just got a warning. You should have got a ticket. Did you end up uh, rotting? I didn't home? have my license with me. I could have said I'm Brad Snyder. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would have worked in Ridge probably too, wouldn't it? It might have worked in another city, but uh, <laughs> uh, but probably not so much here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So eventually you moved out of patrol and you are now captain. So how did you get to there to kind of walk us through so, that? So I, when I... Went to patrol from, from dispatching at the city. Uh, I worked there for a few years. And then uh, 2000, late 2005, early, early 2006, um, I had the opportunity to become a DARE officer hmm. and teach in the schools. So, again, we'll, we'll transition back to what I said earlier. My backup plan, if I did, decided I didn't want to be a police officer, it was a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so what better way to incorporate both Absolutely. than to teach DARE? That's cool. And so... Uh, I say today that that has been my favorite assignment that Mm. I've had in my entire career. Mm. Uh, So I went to Oklahoma City and got certified to teach the D.A.R.E. program. It's a two-week school, very intense, uh, a lot of public speaking, a lot of doing things outside of your comfort zone. Mm. Uh, And so because you're dealing with kids, you're going to be teaching kids, and so you need to kind of have that mentality a little bit. So uh, certified to teach. And uh, came back, and, and, of course, we taught there at uh, Oak Grove Middle School for the Paragol School District, Green County Tech, CRA, St. Mary's. So those were all my schools that, that I 
that I taught at. So I've taught a ton of kids because I taught that program for eight years. And so, wow. so I taught, uh, taught that. Uh, I eventually went to what's called mentor school for D.A.R.E. And what that does is certifies you to teach police officers how to be D.A.R.E. officers. Mm. And so Arkansas at the time did not have a, a training team for D.A.R.E. Uh, to, to, to put on D.A.R.E. instructor schools. And so uh, for, for a few years, I got invited to go back to Oklahoma and be a part of their, their D.A.R.E. training team. And so I've got a lot of good friends in Oklahoma uh, through D.A.R.E. because I taught with them for two weeks at a pop in the summer. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so it was very, very, uh, very nice and, and humbling to be asked to come back over there to, to teach for several years in a row. And uh, so I did that until 2013. And then uh, in 2013, I was promoted to patrol sergeant and uh, was assigned to one of the night shifts. And you, you kind of the frontline supervisor for, for your, your crew. We all worked the same all of us worked together on that shift. We never swapped unless you transferred or something like that. But you always had worked with the same people. And uh, so I did that for a year and a half. And then after that year and a half was up, about a year and five months actually, I was promoted to lieutenant. And as a lieutenant, you are the, the commander of whatever, whether it be CID or the street crimes unit or a patrol shift. Hmm. In my case... I was patrol, uh, a patrol commander, a shift commander on patrol. So uh, everybody on that shift belonged to me, and uh, and I was responsible for for that whole entire shift. So as the lieutenant, you're kind of the you have one foot in administration and one foot on patrol. So you you're kind of the the go between between administration and your shift. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you know the primary uh, goal and job there is to to make sure department policy is being followed, make sure that uh, that we're doing what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my my take and my mentality uh, as a sergeant and a lieutenant, uh, I, was, I was pretty, I won't say strict, I, I, I held them to a higher standard. Yeah. Uh, because my philosophy, my, my thought is my job is to teach them to replace me. Hmm. And I've always had that mentality that when I'm retired, because I'm not, and I've told them, I'm not always going to be around. And when I'm retired and I'm sitting on my porch drinking my tea or my coffee or whatever, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we have good officers hmm. running the show when I'm no longer there. And I'm not saying that I'm super cop by any stretch of the imagination. I, there are a lot of things that I'm not near as good as other people we have working for us that are lower in rank than me. Uh, we have a great department, and we've got a, a very multi-talented group of people. Uh, everybody has their strong suits, their niches, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I just I wanted to make sure that, that, that the people that worked for me got to where they wanted to go mm. because most everybody wants to promote. They want to move up. And for them to do that, I, I wanted to equip them to be able to do that. Tom Landry, the old football coach for the Dallas mm-hmm. Cowboys, once said that it's the job of a coach to get his players what they don't want to do in order to become the player they want to become. Absolutely. You know, get them – you know, it's it's not always easy to do what's right. Mm-hmm. You know, do what's right, not what's easy is, is one of my one of my the, the phrases that I, I like to reference to. Uh, you have to do what's right. Yes. And, and – 
sometimes what you think is right is not right. It's going to be wrong, but but it's not from a lack of putting thought and effort into it. It's you know just you know the circumstances just didn't uh, didn't align right. But at the end of the day, you want the people that work for you. I want the people that work for me to achieve their goals mm-hmm. and get where they want to go. And so my job is to help them get there. Is it easier now to find good quality police officers or more difficult in the culture that we're living in? It's a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, and, and as a captain now as a, in police administration, you know, one of, my, one of my jobs is to do background investigations for new applicants, uh, potential new hires. And, you know, once upon a time, it was very difficult to uh, – we didn't have openings. You know, it was, a, it was just uh, – it was hard to get on. And same thing, and it's the same thing with any agency. The Arkansas State Police, you know, it would, you know, you would consider them to be the premier law enforcement agency in the state. You know, they have the same issues we're having right now. Hmm. You know, you have a you ha- you may have applicants, but the the background investigations are what really kill us. And so, and trying to get new uh, new police officers hired, you know, at the end of the day, I. I you know, Chief Stovall and I, we, we have a, a pretty similar uh, outlook on this. I, we need to put good people in these uniforms. We need to put good, ethical people wearing that badge and that gun because if 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 you don't, then that, that potentially breeds problems later. And, and so, it tarnishes the reputation. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be a police officer. I mean, those guys are, yeah. Whatever. Well, and we're having a hard enough time with that now. If you look at if you look at just how things are going nationally, you know when you're you're watching the news or whatever, or, or seeing something on Facebook where there was, you know, an incident with an officer or or, or officers, and, and it's all over the country, and you know we're not the only ones seeing that. The general public seeing that, yes. and and young people are seeing that, and and in their mind they're like, who in their right mind would want to be a policeman right now? Yeah, you know that's, and that's what we run into, and yes. and historically, you know we. We don't go in this business to get rich. Yeah, for sure. You know, so you're not going to sell them on that. No, and, and the people that get into it want to make a difference, right? Absolutely. And you know, we would we would love to make more money. We would love to be able to, from an administration standpoint, we would love to be able to pay mm-hmm. them more money. Um, you know, as I've explained to people, in, in, in for in other aspects of things, um, it's it's kind of like your checkbook at home. You have X amount of revenue that comes in. Mm-hmm. You can't outpace that. Mm-hmm. You can't go above that because, you know, yes, in our case, the city has reserves. But you can't keep dipping into that reserves to pay people because if you do, then you're going to run out of reserves and then you're not going to be able to afford later down the road. Yeah. And so so it's there's a lot, a lot of moving parts into that. And, and I know that, that, that Mayor Ag currently is, is working on and trying to uh, formulate some ideas and plans to, to look at that for, for the future. And, and I know that the, the city council is also in that, that boat as well. Uh, it's just making sure we don't put ourselves in a bind because salaries are perpetual. You know, it's not like a, a one-time purchase of a police car where, okay, that's X amount of thousands of dollars. That's a done deal. You know, salaries are perpetual. Mm-hmm. And they go up every year mm-hmm. because of payroll taxes and and, and retirement costs and things of that nature. So yeah, cost of living, all that. There's just a whole lot of moving parts to that yeah. and, and 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 they're working on it. We're doing doing the best that they can to to try to address that part of it. But 
you know, at the end of the day, I'll, uh, I'll use a term that uh, the superintendent at Green County Tech uh, uses with, with us quite a bit. I'm on the school board there, as you, you may yeah, may know right. already. Uh, but but something that, that stuck with me that he said was, you know, when it, he was talking about teachers, you know, they're, most teachers are in it from the outcome, not the income. Hmm. And that's always resonated with me, and 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 I kind of look at that from a, from a law enforcement perspective too. You you know going into this that it that it's not a six figure job sitting behind a desk. It's a it's a mm-hmm. down and dirty, nitty gritty, seeing people at their worst, making you know not not what you should. I mean, and that's been that way for ever, yeah. and so. Um, it is. It's 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 a. Uh, it's hard to sell people. I mean, yeah. they have to really have, you know. I, I use the term a lot, a servant's heart, to to want to do that job because as much ridicule is is put out toward police officers, and I and not so much locally because we we are very blessed to live and serve in Paragould, Arkansas, because yeah. we have a wonderfully supportive community, and uh, but that's not the case. In other parts of the country, yep. And so, but that's what you see. You see that stuff, yep. And you don't see the the local aspect Absolutely. of it. And, and potential candidates, they're they're look at that that and not what we see on a daily, right? And and it turns folks off. Well, and I'm thinking, you know, what do I know? But it, it seems like there needs to be a um, we we're going to have to focus even more. I think in the years to come on educating kids and teens and and somewhat even recruiting you know, yes. towards this profession because it is needed. Absolutely. Um, we need good police officers. And I think you're with the media and just the world that we're living in. Unfortunately, you're going to probably have fewer kids that are Brad Snyder who say, when I grow up, I want to be a police officer. Yes. You know, I think we still have that. We do. We still have that. But I think we're going to, if things keep going the way they're going, we're going to hear of less and less people that are saying those things. You know, you, as I get older, and I'm sure you uh, you see the same thing, a lot of things are cyclic. And what I mean by that is hairstyles, clothing. <laughs> yeah, man, the 90s are back. Yes. And so law enforcement's very similar to that. Hmm. You, you have periods of time where anti-police uh, sentiment was pretty high, and then you ramp up, and it's a very pro-police uh, society, and then we go back to... Hmm. We go back to the anti-police, and so I think that we're we're in that swing yep. again, yep. and I, and I think at some point or another it will start going back up to good. to uh, pro police. It's good. So, when did you become captain? November of nineteen. All right. So November two thousand nineteen. What exactly does the captain do? What is it that you're in charge of as a captain of the police? So when I originally was promoted to captain, uh, I was over the. Uh, the IT stuff, the computer things. And so uh, we had just transitioned to a new system. We had tried car computers years ago, and, and they just did not, uh, they didn't perform like we needed them to do. And so those were eventually phased out. Well, right uh, right before I made captain, uh, we had purchased uh, computers, printers, uh, software, uh, everything that entails what we need for our cars. And so I kind of started having all that stuff installed in police cars. And, and the system that we currently use is, as far as software goes, is what the state police uses in their cars 
to do work accidents, write tickets, write warnings, things of that nature. So access, as I said earlier, ACIC, uh, they can run license plates in their cars. They can run driver's license in their cars. Mm-hmm. See, see the picture that's associated with that driver's license so they can, mm-hmm. they're able to compare if that's who they really are. So a lot of technology that, that, that is out there that, that they're we're capable of using now is, is outstanding. And so so I started out in that, doing that, and that was a handful. And, uh, you know, I'm not a computer guy by trade, obviously. Uh, I've been in law enforcement since I was 19, so I'm not I'm not a computer guru. I can, I get, I can do enough to get myself in trouble. <laughs> but, uh, but we got those up and running. We got those, uh, all the little bugs worked out for the most part, and we got that, uh, got that going. Officers are now they'll they'll call me if something's down and say, hey, uh, can can you help me with this? Because they they like it so much and they rely mm-hmm. on it so much, and it's a great tool. So mm-hmm. so we do uh, we do do some maintenance on those things and, and try to keep them up and going, but. Uh, at uh, probably a few months ago, uh, six eight months ago, we uh, were able to hire a civilian that that is a, a computer hmm. individual, uh, Ryan Hankins, and uh, we were able to hire him, and he kind of took those duties over. And so when that occurred, I took over being uh, I'm the, the commander over CID, uh, the criminal criminal, criminal investigation. investigation division, uh, the detectives, the street crimes unit, the SCU. Uh, the school resource officers. Uh, I continued my my public information officer job. I also did that when I did the IT stuff. So uh, so as the PIO, I'm also the media guy. Hmm. Uh, I do the TV interviews, the newspaper interviews, uh, the the police department's Facebook page. Uh, that's what I take care of. So. All press releases that get typed mm-hmm. up and released, those those are uh, out of my office, and uh, so I take care of I, I take care of a whole lot of different things. It's kind of a, a jack of all trades, sure. master of none type. Yeah, guy. yeah. Criminal investigation division. Uh, what did you say that that entails exactly? So that's where our detectives are. That's the, our detective division. So we have uh, we have four detectives currently. Uh, you have a CID commander, which is a yeah. lieutenant, Lieutenant Rhonda Thomas. And then you have a sergeant, and then you have two corporals, detective corporals, and a secretary as well. What are detectives needed? Like any time that there's expected, there's foul play. That that would be a, a prime example. Uh, that our detectives handle anything that is felony in nature. So it could be a a, a forgery. Somebody signed somebody's name to a check, or uh, counterfeit money, or uh, a, a battery in you know a, a fight where somebody was stabbed or or shot or anything that would be of a felony nature, they handle those things. Now that's gotcha. that's burglaries and robberies and breaking into cars, uh, that kind of thing. So so they handle those cases. Patrol will initiate those reports because the patrols patrol is the backbone of any department. They're the ones that start everything else. So whether it be a traffic stop or a call for service that they responded to, they are what start that. And okay. then if it's a felony in nature, a detective, if it's serious and it's uh, in progress type of situation, uh, detectives will come out. It may be in the middle of the night that they get called out. Hmm. And that happens quite regularly uh, where, where a detective needs to come out and photograph evidence, interview witnesses or victims or suspects. Uh, that, that happens pretty regular. So they handle those type of things. Mm. Uh, our street crimes unit, uh, a lot of it is narcotics. Uh, they are 
part of uh, some uh, multiple task force forces where you know they're involved with uh, some federal agencies mm-hmm. uh, on cases and things like that. So they're kind of a uh, a jack of all trades. They're, both divisions are kind of a jack of all trades. They kind of handle a whole lot of different types of cases yeah. Yeah. Uh, that are that are serious in nature. True or false? <clears throat> are there drugs that are moved in and out of here through players in Mexico? Like that's a rumor that I have heard for years and years. That oh yeah, man, like there's a pretty big presence here where people are moving drugs in and out. There's some people that have been busted, some that haven't. So I will answer that this way. We, back in the late 90s when I was a young deputy, mm-hmm. methamphetamine was ramped, oh, yeah. ramped up yes. extremely, uh, extremely high. You know, there were a lot of meth labs being uh, busted in the county, in the city. I remember that. I mean, it was, uh, I remember a couple-week period where I was, I'd work as a 21-year-old kid, and I use that in air quotes, I would get off work at 10 o'clock and I'd go home and go to bed. Instead of being a, a 21-year-old kid and going and hanging out and watching a ball game or whatever, I went home and went to bed because I knew my phone was going to ring at 2 o'clock in the morning oh, wow. and I'd be right back up. And so, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a busy time for us. So the methamphetamine was being manufactured here mm-hmm. in barns and sheds and ditch banks and things of that nature. So, so we had that huge influx. Now... Most of our stuff comes from Mexico. And there are known hubs here in the state of Arkansas where things get handed off and then it splits and, and uh, without going into too much detail, sure. it, 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 it makes its way here. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that's good to know. Would you say, when you, when you look at social media, you've got, it looks like the world's going crazy. It looks like the world's more hostile and, and crime is worse than ever before. Yes. Is it actually, like here in Paragould, is it worse than ever before or not really? I'll go back to that, that term cyclic uh, that, where it's, it, it waxes and wanes, if you will. There are things that we see influxes of, and then that, that changes and something else comes along. So I won't say that it's, Worse, mm-hmm. I won't say that's better. Uh, it just changes. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know I, I think that it's it's pretty even keeled. We just we just change what we're dealing with a lot of times. It just kind of one takes the place of the other, yeah. and then we move on to something else. Um, do I think that we're busier now? Absolutely. Hmm. You know our our calls for service in a month average uh, about forty seven hundred. Wow, forty seven hundred calls a month. Yes. What are the majority of those calls? Are they like domestic dispute? Um, you know that could be a, a barking dog. That could be a, a welfare check. It could be a domestic disturbance. It could be uh, just any number of things. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. In, on one hand, where you you look at the the calls for service and just the diversity of those calls. It's uh, and I'm guessing they're not all from like one area. They're like no, all over the they're, town. They're they're all over. Yeah, you know, obviously you do have, you know, you may have an influx in s- certain areas, uh, but you know, in those those hot spots, if you want to call them that, uh, you know, we try to do our best to target those areas as far as extra patrols or, mm-hmm. or or try to slow some things down. Or if we've got a specific issue that we need to deal with, then we we plan for that and go uh, 
execute some sort of plan, whether it be uh, a, you know a whole bunch of officers together going over there and just really uh, checking the area or, or doing what's called a saturation or something like that. So we try to we try to do that to where we can kind of put that fire out, if you will, mm-hmm. that hot spot. And so, uh, but I mean, other than that, I mean, it's kind of across the board, just just random all over the place. When you think about those calls and you think about, I mean, this is a good question, <clears throat> a good question to end on. I'm, um, I'm interested in, when you think about those calls and you think about everything that you've witnessed and you've grown up here pretty much. Yes. Um, what do you see are the biggest needs in our city? I want to ask you that. And then maybe a follow up with what do you love the most about our city? So we'll end on a positive note, but first, what, what do you, what do you see from your perspective as yeah, the biggest needs? You know, right now, we are seeing a huge influx of mental illness. You know, mental health has really uh, declined, not just citywide, I think, but countrywide. Um, but we see that here. I mean, we're, we're seeing more and more mental health calls where, whether it be uh, suicidal individuals or, or people just not, not themselves. And so it's... Um, what do you think that is? Like, what do you think created the surge? You know, I, I don't know if just the changes in society in general as far as the stress levels uh, that people may be experiencing. I, I'm sure some of it is drug-induced, a uh, combination thereof. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it would be speculation on my part to... to, to try to tell you what the, the root cause is. I don't know if anybody can tell you what the root cause is. Uh, we just see a lot more of it. And, yeah. uh, and so that, that puts our officers in a, in a, in a predicament, if you will. Uh, we do have officers that are specially trained to, to conduct interviews and conduct uh, evaluations, if you will, of, of individuals that are maybe in a mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are crisis intervention uh, team officers. And we have several of those that do a fantastic job of, of trying to get people help when they need help. And, uh, but, it, you know, it's, it, it's a huge issue. Yes, it is. And, and trying to figure out how to mitigate that and to, to provide help and services mm-hmm. uh, is, is a challenge because that, that whole system is, I know you were in the counseling business for a mm-hmm. while, and you know exactly what I mean when mm-hmm. I say that, that trying to get the resources put in place for people is is difficult, and uh, it's just a system that needs that needs some help. Yes, it does. And and yeah. I wish I had the answers to to help that. Uh, I just don't. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we can sometime off off the uh, off the mic brainstorm because that's an issue that we're seeing even within the the church of just more and more and more people who are just and whether it's crippling anxiety or depression yes. or just they are hurting absolutely and then and and then when you sometimes when you add that law enforcement element to things that does make things a little bit makes them on edge makes us on edge because we don't know what their their mindset is their thought process is so our we're having to watch ourselves very carefully to make sure that we don't put ourselves in danger while trying to help somebody that may be having a crisis so Mm -hmm. it, it is a it's a, a sticky situation to be in sometimes. Yeah, I agree. That's. Uh, I'm sure we could focus more on that, but I'd love to just end with <clears throat> what do you love about our city? What is it that makes you want to 
you want to raise your family here, you want to stay here, you want to serve here? This is a very giving community. Uh, when when there's someone in need, there there are uh, either down in their luck or or just trying to um, get from one place to the other uh, in their life, and and they're just in need of something. Uh, people step up in the most astounding ways, uh, and this is just a it's a great community in that they come mm-hmm. together and they provide what is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. Um, I can tell a personal story. I, I put a, made a post on Facebook. I'd become acquainted with a, with a gentleman that was uh, pushed up. He was in a wheelchair, and he was pushed up to City Hall on a, on a Friday afternoon. And uh, I got a call from a uh, city clerk, Andrea Williams, and uh, he was there looking. For, he didn't know what to do. He had nowhere to go. He'd been he'd been uh, kicked out of his home, and uh, so I'm. I made a couple phone calls. We were able to get him in a uh, in a hotel for the night, and before it was all said and done, we were trying to get him where he needed to go or where he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a the gentleman that uh, had suffered a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. when he was a very small child, and so he has been disabled his entire life, mm-hmm. and uh, he was from a state in the Pacific Northwest. And so he had no relatives here, no contacts here. And so as I have done in the past, uh, I, you know, Facebook can be a wonderful tool. Mm-hmm. It, can be, uh, it can be so very helpful. And so I, I did put out a message about, hey, I've, I've got a gentleman that's down on his luck, a disabled gentleman, I need some assistance, you know. And my phone was going off like crazy mm. and and we were able to keep him safe we were able to keep him clothed and fed and under roof until he was able to transition to another place and and he is uh currently in kansas city in a uh in an assisted living facility mm. receiving uh occupational therapy and physical therapy services and has probably uh thrived more than he has his entire life where he's at currently and so it's just it's because of people in this community that that made that possible and that's just one story of uh, hundreds that we we could sit here and recall Mm -hmm. that that all because of the the people in this city yeah helped with those are the stories man we got to find a way to share more often absolutely because i know that i know that doesn't uh get the clickbait you know that People, I mean, most of the news channels want, but man, we have to be reminded often that, like, man, this is still a beautiful place. It's a beautiful world, man. There's a lot of great things happening. That story just highlights that. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. I mean, just the fact that if there's a need, somebody's going to help fulfill that for you. Yeah. If 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 they're if it's out there, they're going to help. Yeah. Well, I think Brad, that's a great place to end. Before I head out now to go coach my nine-year-old daughter's soccer team which by the way I know nothing about soccer kick the ball in the net that's all I can tell you (laughs) so man honestly it was such a privilege and honor to be able to have you in here today thanks for having me forward to having you back in the near future absolutely all right and so that is Captain Brad Snodder Man, that was a good time. Brad, thanks so much for coming on. Um, Hey, if you're still listening, we want to thank you for tuning in. Um, As always, we encourage you to check us out on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, 
Twitter. What else are we on, Bill? Instagram. Instagram. We also have a... We're also on email. Yes, we do. You can subscribe to our email list. Uh, we have a website. We do. Paragoldpodcast.com. And so be sure and check us out. And if you get a chance to get on iTunes, um, give us a five-star review. Uh, that actually helps people find us uh, much quicker and learn more about the great people living here in Paragold. And so, again, thanks for tuning in. Until next time.